0: Welcome back to Nature Boost, I'm Jill Pritchard with the Missouri Department of Conservation. It's May, which means summer is almost here, and one of the most common deterrents of people enjoying a Nature Boost in the summer are those itchy plants and insects. I'm talking about poison ivy, mosquitoes, and ticks. I wanted to shed a light on these bloodsuckers, not only to learn how to steer clear of them, but also to spread awareness about their ecological benefits because they do have them.
1: So this is the real thing. So
0: that's poison ivy right there. This is poison ivy. Okay. And
1: I can talk about the the characteristics of it, but this is one of its lookalikes. People often think this is poison ivy. Is that? This is fragrant chumac.
0: Oh, okay. Smell it, isn't it nice? Oh, it does smell nice. Really, I, like I like that. Yeah. I met up with Runge Nature Center manager, Kevin Loraff earlier this month to take a dive into these pesky parts of nature.
1: The old expression is leaves of three, leave them be, and you see the three leaves. But the difference is this middle stem is a little bit longer than the others, like it's reaching out to get you. So that's how you remember. This is poison ivy, and this stem, middle stem, really isn't that much longer. So you know this helps you just yeah this Mm -hmm. is the shumac this helps you distinguish between the two okay and then another neat thing over here is that it's a kind of a neat plant because poison ivy can be a plant it can be a bush like six feet tall six feet wide but it can also be a vine and so right here we see poison ivy the young vines are right here but as they get a little bit older you can kind of see they start to get hairy And when they get real old, they get really thick and hairy like that. And they can go up 60 feet up into a tree. So a plant, a bush, or a vine, poison ivy can really grow in a lot of different places in a lot of different ways. But you still see the same characteristics. Leaves of three, that middle stem kind of reaching out to get you.
0: What is what is it about poison ivy that's poisonous? Does it secrete an oil? Is that yeah, what it is? Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, the, the, the scientific name is toxicodendron, which, is, which means literally poison tree. So it's not actually a tree. You know, it's a plant, a bush, or a vine. But the poison part is from an oil in the plant. It's in all parts of the plant, the roots, the stems, the leaves, and it's called urushiol. And it's a very potent kind of a toxin because it can... It can live like five years even in dead poison ivy plants. It can live, be active for like two years on clothing that you haven't washed yet. It can come in on dogs and you can, you know, get infected from that. So the infection really causes a rash, a burning feeling, and then really lots of itching and it can eventually go to blisters and it can eventually lead to infection. So it it can be dangerous if it gets a really bad case of it.
0: I didn't know that it could be active on clothing for that long.
1: Yeah, regular laundry soap will take care of it. But if you don't, if you just walk through the woods or walk through poison ivy and leave it sitting around, it can actually infect people for up to years after before you wash it.
0: Well, and something else, I think there's a misconception that, you know, you you can only find poison ivy in the woods, but, like, I have it in my backyard, and it's just, yeah. you know, and it was just growing up a tree.
1: Yeah, you know, poison ivy is found in every county in Missouri. It's also found from the East Coast to the West Coast, Southern Canada, all the way to Mexico. It's been found in almost every one of the habitats we have in Missouri, not only, like, in the deep woods forest, but its preferred habitat is the edges of forest and old fields, but you'll often see it right along the trails like we have here you'll see it in backyards it it thrives in disturbed places which is kind of one of its benefits it's considered a kind of a, a pioneer species and that it can be the first to um you know grow in a really disturbed area so in a way that's one of its benefits because it helps hold down the erosion in a newly disturbed soil but yeah it's everywhere any habitat you know from glades to prairies to forest to fields to suburbs to neighborhoods to parks is pretty much everywhere. So it's, it's really useful to be able to identify it.
0: Oh absolutely and we're in early May right now and as you've been showing me we're here at Runge Nature uh, Center in Jefferson City and it's already starting to pop up. Talk to me about the berries of it though. It produces yeah. some berries. It
1: does produce berries. It produces a kind of a waxy berries and that's actually one of the benefits of the plant itself. We actually recommend leaving the plant, if it's not causing a problem, you know, with your kids or pets, or you don't have to go through that area, we recommend leaving it because it's actually a very beneficial plant to wildlife and to habitats. Um, 75 species of songbirds eat the berries, and uh, plus turkeys and quail, and the leaves are eaten by deer and uh, bears and other animals so as forage so it is a useful plant it's also a can be a cover plant for some wildlife so um the berries of poison ivy are are small round and waxy like a waxy white and so they're not on yet but um that's one of the distinguishing characteristics of the of the plant that it has kind of a white waxy berries
0: and do do they get that as the summer goes on?
1: Yeah, they will. That's right. So we just have leaves kind of emerging right now. but as the as the summer goes on, you'll get uh, small little tiny flowers you can barely recognize. and then the fruit will come after that.
0: And even now, as it's just starting to pop up, it's still as poisonous now as it will be. I mean, yes. what about in the winter time? Is it still? Yes, can you still as a, a
1: matter of fact, that's another one of the characteristics of that oil, your rush oil I was telling you about. Not only is it active when the plant is green and growing leaves, but it's act, actually in that all parts of the plant all year long. So you can get infected from that plant in the dead of winter, you know, just by brushing against the old stems. And remember that oil can stay even in a dead plant for years. Oh my gosh. And so- here's another thing. That oil is so persistent that if you burn it, if you have it even on campfire wood, or let's say you have some of that vine on your campfire wood and didn't know it, and you burned that or burned a brush pile with that that poison ivy on there, that oil can get in the smoke and you can breathe it in and it can cause you actually respiratory problems.
0: Gosh. Yes. that just
1: potent and very persistent oil.
0: A recipe for disaster, it yeah. sounds like. I wouldn't want that burning on my campfire, that's for yeah. sure. Um, so if it is in your backyard and you want to get rid of it, tell us again what, what the best way to do that is.
1: Yeah, the best way to do it is spray it with a spray. That way you don't have to touch it. It'll kill the roots. Um, a most commonly available spray that uh, herbicide that will kill it is uh, glyphosate, which is the active ingredient in a lot of brand name herbicides like Roundup is probably the most common one, but in some other brand names and uh, that will kill it and and kill the roots. You just have to keep at after it though because remember it is a persistent plant and and um, you know you can it can live underground those roots can be underground for quite a while so if it's an area you really want to eradicate you'll have to probably spray it and keep visiting that area over years
0: good to know to be persistent with it um for anybody who's going to be out backpacking or hiking or anything do you have any suggestions or tips for them as far as to avoid poison ivy. I think identification is probably just the best.
1: Yeah, education is the best. Just knowing how to identify it. Know that it is common along trails and um, probably the best uh, defense you have against it is is being able to recognize it. And then wear long pants if you're going to be coming along trails where it might be encroaching the trails, something like that. They also, uh, there are also some products that you can put on ahead of time if you know you're going to be in it. Um, There's a couple brands that, have a product that you can put on your skin, and that'll help keep the urushiol from getting on your skin and being absorbed by your skin. That There's also products that help you remove it, like if you accidentally got into it and you didn't know it, you can buy products. Tecnu is one of the brand names, but there are others that'll help you. It's a cleanser that'll help remove that oil. So one of the tips we have is, is to get that oil off your skin as soon as possible. It really doesn't cause problems until it gets absorbed into the skin and starts um, competing with the proteins in, in your skin. So the best thing to do, if you know you've been in contact with your on your skin, is to wash with soap and water. And we recommend cold water because uh, hot water can open the pores and let some of the oil in. Um, yeah. So cold water, keep those pores closed keep that get that oil washed off as soon as possible and any kind of normal soap will work you don't want a uh, real oily soap or something with oils in it but no, most normal soaps will wash that off as soon as possible
0: okay uh, a few years ago i like i was telling you earlier i had poison ivy i, w- I had a, i had this huge well i have this huge oak tree in my backyard and it had all these vines overgrowing and so i was i was trying to get the vines off the off the trunk of the tree and there was poison ivy all over it. And even my neighbor was outside and he's like, Jill, you be careful. I'm pretty sure there's poison ivy on that. I'm like, yeah, 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 whatever. (laughs) And sure enough, oh, I had it bad on my legs, on my arms. And it's miserable once you get it.
1: Yeah, it is. So if you do have vines going up the tree like that, we recommend just um, cutting the vine near the base of the tree and putting on the herbicide because that herbicide will go in and kill the roots. It's really not a good idea to start pulling it down from the tree because you can get parts of that vine down onto your body, even into your eyes and your face. Some of that oil can come out and get into your skin. And you don't wanna do that. It's actually not a problem to our native trees. It doesn't, you know, it will go up trees, but it doesn't really strangle or hurt them that much. Um, So the best thing to do if you find it is just snip that vine and then treat with herbicide.
0: So you wouldn't call poison ivy an invasive plant by any means?
1: Or- uh, it kind of is in the way that it can it can come in early before other plants but it it's not like it it's not like an exotic invasive plant in that it will take over it is a native plant to missouri so it it evolved here and providing many benefits to wildlife it seems like people are really the only creatures that have problems with it <laughs> see
0: and, and that's good to know though as yeah. as much as we think of these things as um kind of outdoor pests in the summertime it is important to know that hey it really it's only hurting us, but That's it's right. good for wildlife.
1: That's right. So many wild, wildlife species benefit from it in so many different ways. So leave it if you can.
0: Okay. All right. Good to know, Kevin. All right. Well, let's move on to some other little pests of summer. Let's talk about mosquitoes. Yeah. Um. Many people don't like mosquitoes. And yeah. I actually read, did you, have you ever heard them? Uh, they have called them the most dangerous insect in the world.
1: Well, I can believe that because they do, globally, they do cause so many diseases and they're vectors for many diseases that are really hard on humankind in many parts of the world. Things like dengue fever, and um, malaria, Zika virus, West Nile virus, and it's the vector for the bacterium that causes elephantiasis. So a lot of different you know, worldwide problems are spread by this one insect. Here in Missouri, we have 50 species of mosquitoes, something I didn't realize until recently. And interestingly, a lot of, some of them just specialize on certain animals. For example, there's there's some that only bite frogs. There's some that only bite birds some bite anything they find and some actually prefer humans so (laughs) it's good to know what they look like it's kind of good to know a little bit about their life history so you can kind of take some precautions against them
0: so tell us about that's interesting that there's there's kind of a, yeah. there's a few that are specializing in, in the type of blood that they like to drink. Is it true that only females are the ones that are blood suckers?
1: Yeah, that's true. Only the females will suck blood. The males usually drink uh, plant juices. They both have a similar, the same mouth part, which is a proboscis for piercing and sucking, just kind of like a straw with a pointed end. Um, but so that is true. Only the females will suck blood um and the reason for that is because they need that that protein to to develop their eggs and so um that's part of their life cycle is that they will take a, a blood meal and that will help them develop their eggs they'll lay their eggs on water interestingly f- mosquitoes need a water as part of their life cycle and the, so the eggs hatch in the water the little larvae are called uh, wrigglers at first, or wigglers, and you might have seen them in standing water and bird baths or something. They're really jerky, really tiny, only maybe like a quarter of an inch, but they're really jerky if you bother them. They develop into a larger larva stage called um, what do they call? Is it pupae? They are pupae, but they have another name for it. Wigglers. Anyway, they're a little bit bigger. <laughs> okay. They stay in the water and then they hatch out. And when they hatch out, they immediately, the females will immediately go try to find a blood meal. And normally it takes two or three weeks, which is pretty fast. But if conditions are right, it can happen in as little as 10 days.
0: For them to hatch?
1: Yeah, for them to hatch and find a meal and mate and lay eggs and start the whole thing all over again. So it's good to know you know that a part of their life cycle depends on water because some things you can do around the house to prevent mosquitoes from breeding around your house is to make sure your gutters are working right if you have a lot of standing water with clogged up gutters you're probably breeding a lot of mosquitoes up there. Also things like um, old tires around in your yard or maybe behind the barn those tires and now there's junk like that will hold water in crevices, and that's, you know, we only need 10 days. So if you got water in, in some stuff around your house, you're going to be breeding mosquitoes.
0: I uh, I had to remember that because I always bring, I have like a little kiddie pool for my dog. And so yeah. I, I always remember, I'm like, don't let that because I don't want to breed, you know, mosquitoes right.
1: everywhere. 10 days. They are a fly actually in the the order of diptera, other flies, and you might know that flies are notorious for being able to breed and reproduce quickly.
0: Okay, I did not know that, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. All right, so what's the best preventative measures?
1: Okay, so mosquitoes are pretty much everywhere. They're in almost every habitat all over Missouri. Some of them prefer more woodland habitats. Some of them prefer more open air habitats, but they're found almost everywhere and so some of the things you can do is is to wear long pants and long shirt long clothing if you're going to be in an area where you know there's a lot of them um, you can even wear a head net and they make uh, actually insect suits which are kind of are netting which protect you from a physical barrier against them probably one of the best ones though is to have an insect repellent that has DEET, D-E-E-T, as the active ingredient. The amount of DEET, that can range anywhere from 15 all the way to 100%. So for little kids, we recommend the lower percentages of DEET, but if you're in an area with a lot of mosquitoes, you may need to go up to 100%, which I have before, and it does help a lot.
0: Can that be harmful to you though?
1: Well, DEET is, is, is okay for skin, um, especially in the lower percentages uh, you know but um, the DEET is okay for skin um, there's another insecticide or insect repellent that acts that has permethrin as the active ingredient and permethrin is is a treatment for clothing only. You don't want to put permethrin on your skin because okay. it can hurt you. Okay. So it is an effective barrier against ticks and chiggers and to mosquitoes to a degree, but mostly it's for things like things that will crawl on you like ticks and chiggers. Whereas the DEET is really good for flying insects. So the DEET, think about DEET as for think, flying insects like mosquitoes, horse flies, deer flies and things like that. Deep, so deep products are a lot better for flying insects, permethrin products are a lot better for the crawling uh, things. They're not actually insects, but the things that can crawl on you can hurt you.
0: Okay. I hadn't heard about It's permethrin?
1: Yeah. Okay. P-E-R-M-E-T-H-R-I-N.
0: Okay. That's good to know. I hadn't heard about that one. Now, let me ask you this. If you're really hot or if you're sweating or if you're like wearing a certain color, can that attract them more?
1: Uh, yeah, um, I think lighter colors, we recommend against lighter colors. It might be easier for them to see. Uh, mosquitoes can also detect carbon dioxide, so it's just kind of a matter of. Like
0: you're just breathing and yeah, they. Yeah,
1: can- they can sense that. Um, they're not strong flyers though, so if you're able to get into a windier or breezier spot, you're going to be bothered less by mosquitoes because they can't really fly very well. Okay.
0: I actually read this and maybe you read this or know about this too on our website. I thought it was some interesting history um, that back in the day they associated like low-lying like swamp areas where there was still water. Uh, you know, with spreading disease because of the insects, because yeah. of, and then so, and then that's why wealthier people would build their homes <laughs> on hills. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah,
1: that was interesting. Yeah. I, I read something about that, and it, it, they they kind of knew that swampy areas with stagnant water and low lying areas would be associated with some of these diseases, and so they didn't really know about insect. Uh, the, uh, mosquitoes are the mosquito life cycle right. but they made that association which i think is it's kind of interesting and, and it can be very well be true and so it kind of makes sense if you've got the money and you've got the property hey build up on the higher hilltops where it's breezier you're not going to be bothered that much by mosquitoes because they are weak flyers as adults.
0: I thought that was pretty yeah a little interesting background on that. Um, Okay so you talked about how there are certain species of mosquitoes who only feast on certain species of animals, is there, you know, like you'll be out and you're like, oh, you know, oh, I keep getting bit by all these mosquitoes and somebody you're with and they'll be like, oh, you just got that sweet blood. You got the blood type for it. Is it true that they're attracted to certain blood I types? Think it or is. is
1: that- I think it is true that your different body chemistry, different, you know, pheromones or, you know, hormones that you may be putting out or different, even levels of carbon dioxide, you know, I all those play a factor probably more than we realize as far as the insects themselves and what they can detect and what they're really looking for so i kind of think it's true because just anecdotally I, you know even with with ticks and and especially with sugars and mosquitoes too i you know they seem to be a magnet to me but like my dad and he can just be in the exact same situation and not be bothered at all so
0: but the thing is if there's so many species of mosquitoes there has to be one for everybody right hey
1: that's true that's true (laughs) there may be one species here and not another one there Yeah. there's you know it's kind of like poison ivy there's so much variability in how it affects people and some of that is because maybe you just didn't get as much oil on you but also different body chemistry it can react to different people in different ways some people seem to be totally immune you know like 30 to 40 percent people seem to be totally immune at least part of their lives but here's another thing is that that can change kind of like allergies you know over over time if you weren't allergic before you may be bothered now all of a sudden and vice versa so that's
0: that's a good thing to bring up I actually knew a girl um a few years ago I don't know if, it, if she's still practicing this but she wasn't allergic to poison ivy at all and in the summer she would like have a side business to say hey I'm not allergic I'll come remove it on your property <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm
0: like i actually
1: wow. really smart yeah wow. Yeah. entrepreneur there's a niche right there i know
0: i know but that's good to point it's like maybe she may not be able to do that for the rest of her life because it yeah. could
1: change yeah well you know uh mosquitoes kind of like poison ivy are really important in in our um outdoors and they do actually provide lots of benefits um since they are, uh we do have so many in missouri they're actually an important member of the food chain you think about um in in the aquatic environments where they're growing up, they're important food for fish and other small uh, aquatic creatures, other insects. Um, But also as adults in the air, think of all the things that that we think of that eat mosquitoes. Um, Other insects like damselflies, dragonflies, eat a lot of mosquitoes actually in the air. Things like birds. You know, some of the smaller birds will use mosquitoes as food and also food for their young. Even hummingbirds need a certain amount of small flying insects to feed their young. And then, um, you know even bats thinking about bats oh, that's yeah. one of the facts that we learned as kids yeah. bats eat so many mosquitoes well they are important in the in the doors for those reasons
0: and bats will eat like thousands a night or yeah,
1: something yeah yeah at least a 600 700 a night i heard yeah. so if you multiply that by the you know by the number of bats we have it's a pretty important food source yeah
0: again a nuisance to us but still they play a role in in nature
1: yes definitely just like pretty much Everything, everything in nature, we realize biodiversity is key to the health of our natural communities and our landscapes and even the planet and once you realize the importance and all the different roles that all these things play, you really understand how all the pieces fit together and how each piece is important.
0: After the break, we'll talk ticks and chiggers. Stay tuned. This is Discover Nature Notes with the Missouri Department of Conservation.
2: They bite, suck, and itch, and a few can spread disease. You can fend off ticks, chiggers, and mosquitoes with clothing cover, repellents, and home remedies. Parasites will find some of us tastier than others due to differing body smells. Using mineral and lemon eucalyptus oils, consuming B vitamins and garlic, and walking through campfire smoke will make you a turnoff for many pests. Dusting socks and shoes with medicated powder helps for chicken. And ticks. Wearing long pants, thin long shirts, and using DEET is a tried and true defense. Follow all product directions carefully. Mosquitoes lay eggs in standing pools of water and come out in droves after a wet spring. Chiggers are gone by the time you feel the itch. Inspect yourself, remove ticks, and shower immediately after being outdoors.
0: Discover more by signing up today at DiscoverNatureNotes.com.
2: The Missouri Department of Conservation, serving nature and you.
0: Welcome back to Nature Boost, where we're talking with MDC's Kevin Loraf about the life cycles and even doing a little myth-busting about some unpopular members of nature. Okay, well, let's move on. You mentioned this a little bit already, but let's talk about another one, um, Chiggers and Ticks. Those are... Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, probably the thing that bothered me the the most about Missouri outdoors in the summer, especially... Um, ticks and chiggers, or chicks and tiggers, as sometimes <laughs> they, <coughs> <a little> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but um, so we've got three main common uh species of ticks the dog tick, the deer tick, and the lone star tick. And um, they're very common all over the state and they all act kind of the same way, they, they can't fly, um, they can't jump, but they do crawl, and they have uh, the a similar way of attaching onto their host which is climbing out to the ends of branches especially those near a trail and they anchor with their back legs but they hold their front legs out and they have like little hooks like us hooks like on the front of their legs and when something walks by or they feel a sensation of a vibration of something walking by they'll hang those uh, front legs out in hopes so, of snagging on and getting on that that host, so I hate
0: those yeah. things. Oh yeah, my gosh! They're kind they're, of nasty. They're little. They're little.
1: Little bloodsuckers. They yeah. are. They're hitchhikers. They're bloodsuckers. And if you ever look at the um, a microscopic view of their mouth part, you'll hate them even more because it looks like just a spear with a bunch of barbs on it for oh. a mouth part. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, but. Let f- me
0: ask you, with mosquitoes, you said mosquitoes can kind of sense the heat and the carbon dioxide. Is that similar with ticks? Yeah,
1: it right? is. It is. It is. They can detect um, carbon dioxide put out by mammals. They can detect um, other body odors, and they can also detect vibrations of, of things that are walking by, especially along along a trail where they like to hang out.
0: Okay, all right, so then they they kind of sense that you're coming.
1: Yeah, and they live in every habitat. I mean, their preferred habitat is like overgrown fields, weedy, brushy areas, but they can also be in the woods, they can be in the park, they can be in your yard, they can be practically everywhere. And uh, it's really good to know about them and what some things you can do to avoid them.
0: Okay, so what can you do to avoid them?
1: Well, the best thing to do is to wear uh, long clo- long pants and long shirts and to check yourself often if you think you're in the area of them. Um, they can be pretty much year-round now, so you're not safe in the fall and winter anymore like you used to be able to. Why are they year-round now? Yeah, you know, climate change may have something to do with it, but I think... Um, I think they were always just active, unless the ground is frozen, just they're gonna be active and, and they, can, they can hitch on you. So, um, But some things to help you stay away from them is uh, insecticide, that repellent that I told you about. Make sure you use uh, insecticide with permethrin as the active ingredient. And remember, that's for your clothing only. So the recommendations are to treat your clothing, let it dry, and then put that clothing on. Deep products will work to a degree, and you can put that on your skin if you want to wear shorts or, you know, short sleeves. So deep products are somewhat effective, but not as effective as the permethrin. And some other kind of um, uh, physical barriers that are really helpful with that, I've got on right now, I've got some show and tell items. So one item is a called uh, insect shield. It's actually gaiters that hook onto your boots or your shoes they come up over the cuff of your pants. And what they do is they close up that opening between your pants and your legs. So that is actually a physical barrier that keeps the ticks from getting up under your pants. And you can buy this uh, already impregnated with the insect repellent on it. Really? Uh-huh. And
0: does that last for like how
1: many washes? Oh yeah, or? up to like six washings. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's really um, effective. And so insect repellent gators, this particular brand is made by uh, OR, Outdoor Research. It's called Shield. And so that's something that, that does help. I use that in conjunction with, uh, with the insect repellent like permethrin. So you have that physical barrier and then you also have the chemical barrier as well. As
0: you've done this outside with the gators and the permethrin, permethrin? Yeah, permethrin.
1: Okay. Permethrin. permethrin, okay.
0: No ticks nothing on you a
1: lot fewer ticks a well, lot still
0: fewer. had some
1: yeah you can see it's got some elastic and they they can get in the tiniest spot so you you will probably get some even with that another option is just to use, simply use duct tape wear long pants duct tape the cuff of your pants to your boots it helps to have boots that are you know at least up over your ankle that gives sure. the ta- the tape something to stick to that really helps to keep those um in- those uh, ticks from climbing up under your clothing and keeps them out It forces them on the outside of the clothing remember where that where that treatment is and i've found actually ticks dead before they got to my knee so it does work oh
0: really yeah. okay all right yeah yeah talk to me about seed ticks though are sea ticks just
1: Baby ticks, yeah, they are. There's so there's three main instars or three main life stages of ticks. Two, um, so the after the female lays the egg, they hatch, and this first stage called the instar, um, this first instar, they are tiny, tiny, they're like smaller than a ground piece of pepper, they're really, you know, smaller than a poppy seed. They can barely see them. So those little creatures will need a blood meal. They find usually a mouse or a vole or something like that to get their first meal. They mold their skin, they go into the next stage, which is the next instar, which is the second one. Now they're a little bit bigger. It's easier for people to see them. Now they're more like the head of a pin. They're still pretty small, but you can see them. So sometimes people call those seed ticks. Some people call the first instar seed ticks. They are just, as you said, baby ticks in the first two stages. So after the second one, they have to find another host. This is the second time now. They have to find a blood meal, and they molt their skin, and they turn into an adult tick. So that, uh, as the adult, they do have to find another host. This is the third time now they, the, they get that blood meal, and the females lay eggs and start it all over again.
0: All right, so I have a story to tell you. Years ago, I was foolish and running in the woods with my dog, just like on this trail. And I mean, it was, it was July, like good dead of summer, got back to my car, got my dog in the car and we're driving back home. And I look down and I'm like, why does it look like my pants are moving? Oh, no. oh my gosh, Kevin, there were probably, I don't know, hundreds, <laughs> maybe a thousand ticks yeah. all over me, all over my dog. We had gotten into a seed tick nest or patch or something.
1: It was. That's when the eggs hatch out and before the little ones disperse, they are in what some people call the cloud, some people call the bomb. (laughs) It was. (laughs) It was like a bomb, yeah. And that is a very unfortunate circumstance because a lot of times you don't even see it until it's too late. And then suddenly you are itching, you want to itch your skin off and they are already stuck to your skin and doing their business. So yeah. um, one thing that can help with that is duct tape. Just get you some duct tape, get pull some pieces off and just apply it onto that tick bomb, pull it off, get you another piece of tape, put it off. I know that's the thing, you need a bunch of tape. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of tape or I've used credit cards and try to scrape them off, you know, and even butter knives sometimes, scrape them off. <laughs> I mean, you kind of get desperate. It's just so, it's such a desperate feeling, just that itching everywhere, so. Yeah,
0: yeah. And then you'll be in bed at night thinking that they're still crawling on you, or you'll even find them in. And see, that's the thing. If you have dogs or pets, you know, that are outside, you know what having ticks around is like, because they're bringing them in. There have been a bunch of times where I've found a tick crawling on my face, you know, because my dog brought it in, or, you know, crawling on my bed.
1: Um, Yeah. so. So, ticks, they do, they can cause some um, diseases that are really problems for not only for people but also for pets. So, some of the common ones are. Uh probably the two most common ones are Rocky Mountain spotted fever and then ehrlichiosis but they can also cause Lyme Lyme disease and most recently uh, something called the bourbon virus and also the heartland virus and some of these um, we're just kind of learning about but they know they're carried by ticks and maybe some of those can even be carried by mosquitoes also um, and these are some diseases can even affect dogs too, pretty commonly. So vets are now becoming more aware of this and just treat dogs that are outside just more regularly, just assuming that they're gonna, they're gonna have some of these diseases.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, cause you can't tell a dog not to run around in the woods. Yeah. You know, it's gonna do what it wants to do. And with all
1: that fur, you know, it's, it's so hard to see it. it really so yeah. prevention, you know, there's some prevention you can get for dogs. Um, but just being aware for people and just knowing that during the summer months especially, you just have to check more often. And one key is to get those things off as soon as possible. The longer they are attached, the more likely they are to transmit diseases um, into your bloodstream. So. Um, Get them off, as soon, check often, get them off as soon as you can. If you see that tick bite, is starting to get a bullseye around it or it's getting red or hard, a bump, and it's just not going away, um, it's probably best to go to a doctor and start the treatments right away. Because the sooner you start those treatments against those tick-borne diseases, um, the better the chances you are that you're gonna be able to recover.
0: So if you do find a tick on you, is there a certain way that it should be removed?
1: yeah one thing is to use uh, grab it right behind the mouth parts um, you can use your fingers but uh, tweezers are sometimes helpful but just be careful while the tick is attached don't squeeze the body and because don't squeeze all that body fluid from the tick into you make sure you grab by the mouth part close to the head and then pull it straight out and then after you do that you need to wash it with soap and water and use, um, you know, like an antibiotic and use some cream on there because um, that can help with uh, some of the transmission and even some of the secondary infection that can keep that down.
0: Okay, good to know. So as much as I don't like them and want to, like, burn them all, especially after, you know, going into a seed nest or bomb as you – or tick bomb, as you say – they do have benefits so let's talk about that
1: well (laughs) I'm sure you know I know enough about biology and ecosystems and biodiversity to know that I can't think of anything that doesn't have benefits to the greater good of our of our of our natural communities but here's another kind of perspective which I, I think is kind of interesting you know predators they just outright kill their food, and that, you know, that's their role, and that's great. Ticks, on the other hand, they just kind of borrow a little blood, and then the host can go on its merry way. (laughs) So maybe, you know, they're not so bad. They just kind of borrow a little from- they
0: just hanging along, taking a sip every now and then.
1: And here's another thing, you know, the tick might say, well, hey, it's not me that's causing the problem. It's these bacteria and these protozoans and the virus that are really causing the problem. These things are just using me because I happen to bite and suck blood out of mammals. But that, hey, that's just what I do. And you know, it's really the viruses and the bacteria that's really the problem. That's
0: a good point. let me ask you this whenever they because we've all seen how big they can get once they've like gorged themselves on yeah. their host and they're yeah. just so full of blood, and then I think they get so big they can't really attach anymore so did then do they just die after that or what happens?
1: Yeah, that's the end of their life cycle so normally we think of ticks as about the size of a sesame seed, eighth of an inch or so or smaller, but at the last stage that that last um Life cycle I was telling you about when the female is ready to lay eggs, then she can get up to like three-eighths of an inch You know the dog ticks will get that gray color kind of weird gray color and and at that point They don't need they just need to lay eggs and they don't need to attach on anything anymore after they lay eggs They do die and so that's the end of their life cycle anyway. Okay.
0: All right Okay, well, let's talk about one last kind of similar um Bloods? No, are triggers the- really blood
1: suckers? No, not really. Not really. They do um, kind of a, they do kind of bite into the skin. They don't really go into your skin. They just cause a reaction by us to that to that bite. And for as small as they are, they really cause a lot of itching. And and. Um, Fortunately, a lot of the preventative things that we do for ticks are also most effective for chiggers. So okay. you don't have to learn a whole other set of stuff just for chiggers. Um, they're kind of insidious because they're so tiny. You know, most people don't even see them. Like you know wouldn't
0: so be able small. to. We wouldn't be able to find a chigger right now.
1: No, I mean no. If you got really good eyes and maybe use a white cloth or something dragging it through the brush you might be able to see them but for the most part they're invisible to most people and but the preventative measures are pretty much the same as for ticks use that physical barrier like long long pants use your duct tape insect gaiters and use your insect repellent they're not insects actually they're a a type of a mite but they do um yeah <laughs> that me shake permethrin is really the best stuff that actually will kill them okay. and so a treatment with the permethrin is really the best
0: okay um and what is there a certain it's kind of the same treatment like for a mosquito bite if you do end up getting bitten by one
1: Um, they are not so bad as far as the bite itself. I mean, they'll cause a little bit itching, but usually not persistent. I mean, a tick, a bite will bother me for like three weeks straight. It's itchy, itchy, itchy. Mosquito, maybe 10, 15 minutes. You know, it's not so bad. And they're such a small proboscis. They don't have that danger of secondary infection, you know, like you do with ticks. Okay.
0: Well, how do you, if you've been bitten, say I've got like, I don't, you know, I just got bitten. I don't know if it's... A mosquito or a chigger? is there a way to tell
1: no not really I mean it could be a spider it could be um, you know wasp it could be a bee it could be some of our true bugs hemipterans have also piercing and sucking mouth parts so it could be a variety of things the main thing to do um, is is if you think it is just to watch it like if it's persistent and gets worse it could be a spider bite and you might need treatment for that if it's if it's not going away and it forms a bullseye or red or rash or something like that and then it could be a tick and there again you need pretty quick treatment as as much as as soon as you can.
0: Okay I, I think that's good advice overall with everything that we've covered today is just you know if you do end up getting into something just wash it keep an eye on it
1: yeah watch it so like poison ivy you know you can expect almost everybody has that itchy um that that rash but you know if it gets um the big blisters or if it's not going away or you did break some and you you know you're probably going to get a secondary infection from that then you really need to watch that and you really need to get treatment
0: okay do chiggers have any ecological benefits being so small it might be hard to say
1: I will have to revert to my my basic answer is that I never say never anymore. (laughs) The more I learn about nature, the more I realize I never say that nothing has benefits because I just know that pretty much everything does. Yeah,
0: well said. Well, Kevin, do you have anything else to add about anything that we've talked about today and or for anybody yeah. going out into nature this summer?
1: Yeah, I would just say that there are some things we need to watch out for and some that can t- truly cause us problems, but don't let that be um, you know, an obstacle to, to getting out there. You know, there are some simple preventative things you can do. And being aware and being educated about some of these things is is your best precaution. Don't let these things be obstacles about getting outside and enjoying it. The outdoors are so many more benefits.
0: Don't let them be a deterrent.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I
0: agree. Awesome. Thanks so much, Kevin. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks again to Kevin Loraf at Runge Nature Center for giving me a great rundown on these itchy and scratchy members of the summer season. He shed some light on poison ivy, mosquitoes, and ticks, and now I have a little bit more appreciation for them. To learn more, visit MDC's online field guide at missouriconservation.org. To learn more about tick and mosquito-borne diseases, visit the Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services at health.mo.gov. I'm Jill Pritchard with the Missouri Department of Conservation urging you to wear long pants this summer and get your daily dose of the outdoors.